Hi, this is Tony Tolado, and this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, and comics, and how those genres help us explore our own humanity. And today, a special on the Klingons, on Klingon Day to wrap things up, combining interviews with Dr. Mark Okrin, J.G. Hertzler, and Robert O'Reilly, and also some vintage Michael Dorn, taped during the Star Trek First Contact junket that I attended. An interesting race, and we'll begin my in-depth look at Klingons in just a moment. As I said in another episode, basically alien races kind of teach us a lot more about ourselves and our own humanity. And the Klingons were certainly part of that, like the Vulcans exploring our peaceful side, while the Klingons exploring our inherent nature for violence, but also for warfare. And here is my special on the Klingons. On a villain introduced in the original series episode, Errand of Mercy. That episode, little did they know that that character and that race, the Klingons, would create a culture with its own language and a system of honor. We'll take a look at the Klingons, which has evolved, as I said, into more than just a Trek villain. On this journey, I have Dr. Mark Okrand, who developed the Klingon language. When I was developing Klingon, I had a few things in mind. Uh, some of them were my ideas, and some of them came from, from, you know, from Harv Bennett, who was the writer and producer of Star Trek III, which was the first film that I did Klingon for. One of them was it was supposed to be an alien language, which means it shouldn't be like any language on Earth, okay, whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> so, so for that reason, I tried very hard not to make it resemble anything. But in addition... At the time, all we knew about Klingons was what we saw in the original series. And the Klingons, so they, they were kind of the, the most popular villains in the original series. Uh, but they were really featured as, as, as major plot elements in three, maybe four episodes, no more than that. Uh, so they weren't, in, they weren't in all over the place. Uh, yeah. uh, but they became the most popular ones anyway. So we knew about uh, how they behaved in the original series, and I knew how they behaved in the script for Star Trek III, but that's all we knew. And what we know, what we knew was Klingons are mean and tough and warlike and awful and despicable. So I wanted to be, we, we've learned better since then, but yeah. that was at the time. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that the Klingon language that I developed did not resemble any Earth language because say if by accident it resembled Thai, then I've got all the people in Thailand upset with me for, you know, using the, their language as a model for these, the language of these bad guys. Yeah. Okay, so I, so I tried very hard not to make it sound like anything in particular. Now, having said that, you can't help but be influenced by what you know. And what I know the most about besides English and some Indo-European languages are uh, American Indian languages, mostly from the West Coast, mm. uh, and some uh, Southeast Asian languages and Chinese. So little bits of those things would creep in there. But as soon as I realized I was doing something like one of those languages, I would immediately stop and change gears drastically. Yeah. So there's little bits and pieces of stuff in there, but hopefully not in any recognizable way. From the TV series, following a 10-year gap, Star Trek The Motion Picture started shooting. And Gene Roddenberry wanted the Klingons to speak with their own language, to go along with their new look. The, the story of Klingon in, in the motion picture is when they, when they made the motion picture, 
they knew that the Klingons were going to speak Klingon. I don't know whose idea that was. I don't know if it was Gene Roddenberry's idea or somebody else. But there was a scene, and at that scene where they speak Klingon is this very, very first thing in the movie. Yeah. Right? There's these three Klingon ships, and one by one they disappear, and they're not in the movie anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, you hear them speak a little bit of Klingon. The scene after that is on Vulcan, on the planet Vulcan, and Spock is undergoing kind of a ritual called Kolinar. He's going yeah. to accept Kolinar, right? It's pure logic. Mm-hmm. That scene, the Vulcan scene, was filmed with uh, the actors speaking only English because that's what the script said to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was only two, two uh, Leonard, you know, Spock didn't speak at all in that scene, but there was a woman conducting the ceremony that she had a, a helper. I don't know what anybody's title was. They spoke, they spoke these lines. And when they were doing post-production, the, the folks decided that they, she shouldn't be speaking English. She should, she should be speaking Vulcan, right? Yeah, it's a it's a Vulcan ceremony on Vulcan. There's no one around except Vulcans, and we know that the Klingons are going to speak Klingon. So it seems silly to have Klingons speaking Klingon in the very next scene. The Vulcans speak English, so they hired a guy from UCLA named Harmut Scharf or something like that, uh, whose specialty was South Indian languages, Sanskrit, and things like this. Oh wow! To come up with Vulcan, and what it was is you know he looked at the at the at the dialogue, the English dialogue, and looked at the lips of the woman and the guy who was speaking it and made up basically gibberish that, that matched the lip movements. Uh, and when they were off camera, he could do whatever he wanted. And that, that was, what he did was modified a little bit. I think Jimmy Doon had, had a hand in there too. But anyway, it was basically this sharp. Huh. Because he did that, they said, hey, why don't you make up Klingon as well? Because even though the Klingon scenes were at the very beginning of the movie, they were shot at the end of the production schedule. So he did something, but they didn't like it for one reason or another. I have no idea why. Hmm. So Jimmy Doohan and one of the producers named John Polville, the two yeah. of them together, came up with some dialogue, some Klingon stuff to say, and gave that to Mark Leonard, who was the speaker. He, he played the Klingon, right? He is normally Spock's father, but in this thing, he was a Klingon. Uh, and, then, and then he said the lines, and that's the origin of Klingon. There's maybe six, seven, eight lines. You know, one of them is, Shh, I don't know if that counts as a line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's it. Now, there's actually more than that, but you can't hear it. So there's a, there's this, there's a scene during that sequence on the, on the Federation uh, lookout station or something where you see the Klingon, Mark Leonard, uh, on a view screen, and he's that's jabbering right. away about something. That's and right. he recorded all that in, 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 in the Klingon dialogue they gave him, but you can't hear it, really. So that sort of doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And what counts is the, is, the, is, the, is the basic, basic stuff of Klingon is those half a dozen lines or so that you can hear very, very clearly when he speaks them. And yeah, and yeah, Jimmy Doohan and John Polfield are responsible for that. After the films came Star Trek The Next Generation. But Klingons may have to take a backseat. In, in, in Gene Roddenberry's original conception for the, I'm told, I, I didn't hear this from Gene's mouth, but in the original conception for The Next Generation, when he was talking about it, he said he didn't want to have episodes where the major plot had anything to do with Vulcans or Klingons. He said, it's a big galaxy out there. There's lots of other folks for us to learn about and to interact with. And so we've already discussed Klingons and Vulcans, right, in the original series, so let's go somewhere else. But then they put Worf on the bridge at the Enterprise, and for the first season, he, w- he was the only Klingon till, till almost to the end of the first season. 
when a couple other Klingons showed up. Yeah. And after that, it took off. After yeah. that, they incorporated Klingons all over the place, and the, and the whole culture was fleshed out and developed and became really interesting. Let's take a break, but back in a millisecond. That is the most theological attitude. Well, maybe a little longer. Back on Trek Capsule with more conversations from every Trek generation. One of the things that I that I actually did when um, when I got the job was that I, I vowed to to change the perception of Klingons, uh, and uh, although we didn't have major discussions about it, Gene, Gene allowed me to create uh, the Wharf character any way I wanted to, and so what I did was I took um, uh, we had to do a different voice number one because the voice was too human-like, you know, originally, although deep. And so I just took it and made it um, English, you know, made him a really eloquent, you know, instead of saying, uh, we can't, you know, I say we cannot, you know, and, and make it very stilted and very, uh, very eloquent. So, um, and also the same with the fighting sequences. You know, originally it was like uh, screaming and yelling and, and hitting with two hands, and you know, just really kind of wild stuff. And I and I went to one of the special effects supervisors on our show, who was a martial arts expert, and I said, "Look, you know, I want to change this all around. Let's do something that is that is violent, but uh, almost like martial arts like." You know, so every move is 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 choreographed, and it is, it is every if you make a move, you're getting prepared for the next move, and so it looks real, um, um, you know, like like a dance, you know, except it can rip your throat out, you know, or something. And so that's that's that was my whole point is to is to um, change the Klingons so they weren't just you know these wild guys and, and made them a little different. As the culture expanded, we met more characters and even one of the leaders of the Klingon Empire, played by Robert O'Reilly, Gowron. In another series, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Klingon came into focus who was instrumental to Worf, General Martok, played by J.G. Hertzler. Gowron was a very ambitious uh, ruler, and he was actually rewriting history, uh, much to Worf's chagrin. How do you see him now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what we're going through now, gee, somebody must have watched that show too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think what, what occurred was um, it was a natural ability of, of when you switch shows. Um, uh, I didn't expect to. I, I started off with Next Gen, and actually I thought I was pretty heroic figure. Uh, because I was coming from a family, a Klingon family that was sort of outside the realm. They were of royalty, but the the way that the description was is that I was not an acceptable sort of person for, and how I became this battle with with the other Klingon uh, Mm -hmm. to take over was never actually explained. Then once I did, take over and get it. Then when Michael Dorn was moved over to Deep Space Nine, I knew I was probably going to do one of two things, be killed off <laughs> or get transferred over. And and once I got transferred over, I, I knew exactly what was going to occur. I would become, you know, the enemy uh, to some way or, or degree, or uh, they needed people to fight to give action to the show. 
and I was a natural. Now, what was interesting is they made me a, a political figure and not just, I, I figured if I was going to fight, I'd probably only last a season. So the alternative was to become political, and, and they did that to me, and I lasted the full run of, of Deep Space Nine, which was excellent in my own opinion. Yeah, um, it was. It was. Uh, but, but I have no, you know, it, it's like I'm one of those actors, you know, you give me the job, I do it. You know, it's like the less I give my own opinion about it, I, I feel that's what I should be doing, give, giving my less opinion about it and, and just do the job. There are certain things I like, disliked, but I'm not a writer, you know, and, yeah. and they have to go the full spectrum. They have a much harder job, I feel, uh, oh, yeah. and, a, and a much more, you know, free job uh, to, to go and, and create, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and JG, uh, you know, I, I thought in some ways, Martok was interesting because in some ways he was kind of a mentor and surrogate father for uh, for Worf and was instrumental in helping him after the death of his wife, uh, Jadzia. And um, so how, am I on the right track with him or, or does he view Worf more as a comrade? Well, it didn't start out that way. I, I, um, the, the first really significant episode that I was in was um, Once More Into the Breach. Yes. Uh, and I, that was with John Kolikos, who was coming back, uh, coming forward, really, the first Klingon ever, John Kolikos. That's right. Um, uh, he was coming in to uh, earn himself an honorable death. I guess he knew he was dying and he wanted to somehow uh, uh, crown his life with uh, an honorable death, which is everything to a Klingon. And he came to me, but I would not. No, I'm confusing two episodes. Uh, the first episode was, uh, I mean, these are my two favorite episodes, so I do get them mixed up. Uh, Soldiers of the Empire. Oh, yeah. In Soldiers of the Empire, which was directed by LeVar Burton, Martok was presented as a, a man who has lost his courage, lost his nerve, a Klingon that's lost his oh, courage. Yeah. Disrespected. His ship was disrespected. It was Phil, it was, he was like the... The uh, if there was a like a, a cursed ship in the navy, that was it. Mm. Uh, his his ship and and, and the the uh, the Klingon crew hated themselves, hated the ship, hated him. And uh, Worf came on, and Jadzia also. But Worf put me in a position where I could actually behave in such a way as to overcome my fear. Worf's character after, and he did it. And I, and I did overcome my fear of the Jem'Hadar. And uh, at the end, we, I welcome, I make him part of house Martok. So he was part, he was part son, part brother. That was the most, uh, that was probably the most emotionally fulfilling episode Mm -hmm. I ever got a chance to do because it really, pushed Martok to his emotional ends about being a, a, uh, when all is said and done, being a coward, being afraid. Um, There are things I would, uh, I would undertake now, except as John, uh, except that I, you know, there are too many people involved and there's too much chance of chance of failure, Mm -hmm. but but I would love to be able to do it 
it's uh, anyway, Worf provided Martok with that possibility. It worked out in that. And so I made him part of my house, which yeah. gave, fulfilled a need that he had as well. Oh, absolutely. No, that was great. It was great. The whole uh, Klingon storyline on DS9 was awesome. And uh, you got to credit the guy who really knew how to write him, Ronald D. Moore, who went on Ronald to do D. Moore, Moore, man. You're right. He, I, he had those great Klingon stories, man. It was just, he had great, great command of Klingon culture and the yeah. mentality. And if you've ever met Ron, yes. he, is the, he is the most, like, um, whatever the opposite of overbearing is, he, he's, he's the most humble man. He's a, yes. He's a, he's a genius, but mm-hmm. he's so humble. He's so non-aggressive, non-demonstrative of, of this is how much I know, you know? It's just not there. Uh, and I have the greatest respect for Rod Moore. But the other, yeah. the other thing, in my case, with, uh, with um, Once More Into the Breach, LeVar Burton was the director yeah. of Once More Into the Breach. And uh, I think James Conway, Alan Craker directed uh, Soldiers of the Empire. No, That's right. I'm sorry. I'm screwing it up again. LeVar <laughs> directed Soldiers of the Empire. Uh, Alan Craker, yet another Canadian, directed <laughs> Once More Into the Breach. They were both fabulous directors. Michael Vehar was yes. basically, um, uh, he was a, uh, a DP and a director. And I was, he was sort of a, a very, talk about a very humble man. He was, you never hear about him. In fact, he, he's, he's unfindable. <laughs> you know, I've tried to find him through the oh, internet wow. or through all the resources we have. And, he just does not want to be found. <laughs> you know, he's so, he has a, anyway, um, the, we had great writers like Ron Moore. We had great directors and terrific actors and the guy in charge, Ira. Oh yeah. Um, oh. Uh, you know, he just loved, Ira loves actors and he loves storytelling above all. Mm-hmm. And in that way he was, I think, sort of like Gene Roddenberry. He tried to find the most important things to say and put them in a sci-fi context. As the Klingon popularity spread, some were moved to speak the language and take it further. Dr. Mark Oakrid. Some folks who are members of something called the Klingon Language Institute. That's right. Which is an organization of people who study Klingon very, very, very seriously. And among its members are some people who are excellent speakers of Klingon, some of them, you know, absolutely fluent. They can, they can do simultaneous translation, at least Klingon to English, uh, and carry on discussions entirely in Klingon, and they write things in Klingon and so on. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was the line in, in, in Star Trek VI yeah. uh, where, where the, the chancellor of the Klingon Empire says, you know, you, you can't really appreciate Shakespeare until you write him in the original Klingon. That's and right. so the members of the Klingon languages said, well, if the works of Shakespeare were originally written in Klingon, we owe it to the world or to the galaxy, you know, not to translate, but to restore the works of Shakespeare back to the original Klingon. And that was, that was what started that project. Wow. The only thing that existed, the only Shakespeare line that existed when they started was to be or not to be. Everything else they did, I didn't. I did to be or not to be, but they did the whole rest of the play. Yeah, yeah. It was delivered so well, too. In the early days, there were CD-ROMs. Remember those? And Star Trek Klingon was one of them. I played it. Here's Dr. Mark Ogren and Robert O'Reilly, and yes, J.G. Hertzler. 
where you could order it. You couldn't, you couldn't buy it there and walk home with it, but you could pre-order it and they would, they would send it to you. Mm-hmm. But they had some set up so you could play with it and try it out. And I said, ah, I'm going to go try out this language lab. So I skipped the whole rest of the other thing. I went straight to the language lab. I went to the part where I'm supposed to read a word and say it back and hear how I did. So the word popped up. Now I'm making this up. I don't remember what it said, but it said, kapla. And I said, kapla. And then I heard my voice say, you said ka, and you should have said ha. And I said, no, computer. I said it right. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's a great story. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it well. I, I, the language lab actually took place in the holodeck. Ah, okay. And then he would appear in the holodeck and... He would, you know, you know who he would introduce himself and then we're going to, you know, he would just get going. And, you know, impatient as I was, mm-hmm. a lot of times I kind of skipped that and went right to the story. And, of course, that's why he cursed at me because I, I didn't do it right. But Yeah, there's bits and pieces of it, maybe even the whole thing that you can see on YouTube. You know, yeah, I think so. And a lot of separate videos. I, I, was, uh, I was privileged to sort of do a whole dictionary kind of a thing. Uh, I did a CD-ROM and they added a whole section of learning Klingon, and I was to be the teacher. Uh, and it was some of the first tries at trying to do, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but a video where you, somebody could talk back and, and, and I would tell you whether you did it right. Uh, the technology wasn't there, but the idea was. And, uh, but I couldn't do any of it because uh, so they flew Mark in to sit next to me and I, he would tell me how to do the word, oh, and uh, um, and I would do the word, and he said, "No, Bob, that that's not right. You have to spit more." <laughs> so it was very COVID nineteen, not not good, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the the way Klingons talk, and so we would definitely have to wear masks. But he just said he was very patient with me, and sometimes I'd have to uh, say a word like three or four times before. I got the actual accent and was able to turn the camera. Yeah. And he was literally two feet away from me. And mm-hmm. then the camera was two feet away from me. So he would tell me, I would try it, and then I'd do it to camera. Uh, and this went on for two days. I think it took us two days to film it. It, it was a lot of fun, and, and, and I enjoyed But, you know, Mark and I sort of became fairly close then, and it, it was great. Uh, got, we got to know each other. and. And through the years, we've gotten to know each other better. Well, what's funny is I played that CD-ROM and mm-hmm. I went to the language lab where Gowron appears on the on the holodeck. Right. And and uh, <laughs> so me being a little younger and more impatient, I said, I don't want to do the thing. Let me go right to the ship. And I'm on the Klingon bird of prey. And I, I do something or say something that's not wrong. And... Gowron would appear and essentially cursed me out in Klingon every time. <laughs> so I got well, you should have been cursed out in Klingon. Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun to do that, I have to admit. Is this the uh, CD-ROM called Klingon? Yeah, Star Trek yeah. Klingon, yeah. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I think I was on that as I played the old Klingon. didn't have much to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. um... That was your first Klingon, I think. That absolutely was. And um, when, I, when I read for that, uh, Jonathan Frakes directed it. And when I read for that, 
I, I came to a sequence in learning the, learning the uh, reading the script overnight before I went into audition. Uh, there was a sequence that was in Klingon, three or four or five lines. And I said, well, this is ridiculous. I have no idea how to pronounce these words. I don't know what they mean. I'm screw that. I'll use a, a foreign language. I'll use, I don't know, what could I use? French? No, French sounds like French. Um, Spanish, German's getting closer. I said, oh, I know, Latin. Uh, and be, because my mother was a Latin teacher, I took too much Latin through, uh, through uh, high school and college. But I learned, I memorized a long, 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 long time ago, 1971, mm. uh, uh, a thing called uh, uh, Cicero's Fourth Oration Against Catiline. And so I went right into it. I was saying, but Worf, you see, that is so it went on for a while and when i was done frank said uh, you know i've never had anybody audition in 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 latin before <laughs> he was laughing at me and he said but i love latin and uh he said i there's nothing written for you in this in this cd rom but i'm going to ask the writers to write you in. So that's how I got that first job on Bob's CD-ROM. Called yeah, Play there you go. There and you he's go. on the cover, and uh, as it's always been. But the Klingons weren't done. They showed up in Star Trek Discovery, a new Star Trek series. You know, what's interesting about, about uh, Klingon in Discovery, you know, season one of Discovery yeah. is very Klingon-heavy. Oh, yeah. In, in, in terms of the plot. And in fact, you know, episode one, the, the opening scene is what, it goes on for seven or 10 minutes or something entirely in Klingon. Yeah. I didn't work on Discovery for Klingon. All the dialogue in, in, in Discovery was translated by uh, two people, primarily uh, a woman from Vancouver named Robin Stewart and uh, a, a little bit also by a guy in Indiana named Alan Anderson. Both of them excellent speakers of Klingon, and they're the ones who translated the dialogue into Klingon, and then that's and that's what the actors said. I think Robin, Robin wasn't there to coach them, but she was on the phone or something all the time mm. with them. Oh wow! So they did that. They didn't make anything up, grammar-wise or vocabulary-wise. That's all the stuff that I did, but they did the actual translation work. Wow! I mean, it sounded pretty good. I mean, I it's very good. It's very good. The act, the act, the actors did did a really good job. They they. They speak in, 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 in kind of a Shakespearean way sometimes. They speak like this, they emote, you know. Yes. But the pronunciation is good, and then the, and the, the sentences, the grammar and all that stuff is, is spot on. How did you kind of approach Kelpian? Kelpian was very different. Uh, you know, the, the whole structure of the language is different. Um, in discussions with the, uh, the producers, they had a couple of ideas of what Kelpian should sound like, so I gave them, you know, a few samples. Uh, they... they suggested two things in particular. One is they wanted Kelpian to have clicks, like uh, yes. some, Af some right, languages in, in Southern Africa yeah. have, so, and, and things like that. Uh, I wasn't so sure how readily the actors would be able to produce them, so I put in one, one clicks. <laughs> so if they make any kind of noise like that, that's fine. And they also wanted it to be kind of melodic. So it's sort of so it's sort of a tonal language. It goes up and down like this, you know, in addition to the clicks popping in every once in a while. That was that idea came from the producers. The particular grammatical structure and all that was was on me. 
Wow. Right. And then, then, then the actors spoke. I never actually worked with Saru, with Doug Jones. Yeah. Uh, on any of his. I did work with some of the, uh, some of the other actors. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, that's another alien sounding language. You know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean. And they uh, sing. They sing in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They do. They do. <laughs> oh, boy, was that an, an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's always surprises with Star yeah. Trek. I, you know, it's always the way it is. If something lasts as long as Star Trek, you can develop many of the different races like Klingons. Covering their development has been a lot of fun for me. The Klingons from Trek's bad guys to a warrior culture. What a strange journey indeed. Hope you enjoyed our special Klingon Day here on Trek Tuesday. There is more Trek Tuesday coming your way, so stay tuned. We'll be back next week. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.